We give you the highest praise, Lord. We're so grateful for you being in our lives, God. And even right now, you're moving in our midst. Your spirit is warming our hearts. And God, we just long to be with you. We thirst for you even more, God. And thank you for meeting us here in, in the worship time, Lord. And just the, the, the richness of that time was just so moving upon my own heart. And I pray that you would bless your word now, that you would move upon us, convict our heart, hearts, and bring us to that place where we're really transformed and living for you. So go deep tonight, God. Go deep inside our hearts, into our souls, Lord, and change us tonight. So we ask for your spirit to anoint this time, and I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, many years ago, um, Kristen and I, we were blessed to, uh, by someone to go on our first and our only cruise we ever been on. It was a small Calvary Chapel cruise with many senior pastors, their wives and their family, and it was a week-long cruise to Alaska. Well, after the morning teaching by Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, it, we had a great time. I mean, I just sat there with a lot of these senior pastors, and they would just sit in a circle and talk story. Now, I remember one of the, the, the stories they told was from Pastor Greg Laurie, who talked about when he and some of these other guys were still, they were just assistant pastors there at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And, and one night in the middle of the Bible study, this big Samoan guy got up out of his seat and walked out the door in, toward his car. Well, Pastor Greg and Pastor, I think it was Tom Tom Stipe, I believe, at that time. They got up together to go after him to do their pastoral duties and see if maybe they could talk with him and pray with him. Well, as they caught up to the Samoan in the parking lot, suddenly, now this is nighttime, right? This big guy turned around and started toward them. Then the two assistant pastors looked at each other, and then they ran away. (laughs) So brave these pastors were. I laughed as I pictured how these two mighty spiritual pastors were not able to really hold their ground at that time. But you know what? Sometimes the issues in life can seem too big for us to even handle. And then it gets harder and harder to hold on to our spiritual ground. Well, in our Bible study tonight, In the book of Philippians, Paul encourages the Philippian believers who are wrestling with a big problem in the church. And so Paul calls on them to spiritually hold your ground. And that's the title of our message tonight, Hold Your Ground. We're going to be studying Philippians chapter 4, the first five verses from verse 1 through 5. We finished up the last chapter last time, and now we're crossing over into chapter 4, a final chapter in this book. And, and as I mentioned on Sunday, it's such a rich chapter here. But for this evening, chapter 4 from verses 1 through 5. Now, Paul is appealing, crying, calling out to the Philippians to hold your ground. And there's four ways, and this is our outline in which Paul will call to call to them. Number one is stand fast in your walk. Number two is stand fast as one family. Number three, stand fast with true joy. And number four, stand fast in giving grace. So those are the four things that Paul's going to talk about. I'll give it to you as we go and you'll see it on your screen. But let's begin here. Hold your ground with number one in our outline. Stand fast in your walk. Stand fast in your walk. Now, if you can grab your Bibles, take a look with me 
at chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and verse 1. Our section just covers verse 1. So Philippians 4, verse 1, and it says here, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. We're going to stop there, and this is what we're going to take in this first section. And we begin with the word, therefore. Now, that connects us to how Paul ended really back in chapter 3. If you remember last time, the title of our message was Time to Grow Up. And, and he talked about how we are now citizens of heaven, if you remember back in chapter 3, verse 20. And that's what really matters as we live as believers, that, that who we are now is what we're living now, that we grow up into what Jesus Christ is is making us to be. And that's why we press on. Remember the message before that? So in all of this now, Paul says, therefore, or since, it is time to grow up, since we have to live as citizens. So Paul goes on here in verse 1, but first of all, he says how much he loves the Philippians, how much he loves the church there, and he longs to see the Philippian believers. Matter of fact, he describes it this way. They are his joy and crown. They are his joy. In other words, Paul is overjoyed to, to one day see them and overjoyed to see them walking and growing in the Lord. I mean, he, he's, he's gotten the news that they're, they're doing pretty good. There's some problems and all, but he's overjoyed that in their maturity, in their growing, and now he just encourages them, them to keep going. Now when he says, you are my joy and crown, the word crown speaks of that wreath, right? Given to the winning athletes, you know, in the competitions, in the Olympic Games back then. Well, he's saying, hey, you Philippian believers, you're my crown, you're my medal, you're my wreath. The, the mature Philippian believers are Paul's wreath as they continue, as he sees them continue to walk in the Lord. Then Paul says, in encouragement, since now, therefore, O oh, my beloved, therefore, since you're citizens of Jesus, since it's time to grow up and, and to move forward in the Lord, since this is who you are now, citizens of heaven, he says, stand firm in the Lord here in verse 1. Now, stand firm means to maintain, to be unmovable. The idea here is not give in to the pressures of the world's sin and the flesh even. When it comes to your walk with the Lord, Paul calls them, stand fast in your walk. That's our heading. That's what Paul is putting forth here. This is the idea here. The New Living Translation, the NLT, renders, renders this verse, this part of the verse saying it like this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. And I like that. Stay true to God in your commitment, in your dedication, in your loyalty to Jesus. Stay true. Stand firm in who you are and where you matured to. So Paul says, therefore, since, do those things. You know, the Greek word for stand firm is steko. And it was actually used, that particular word was used in a military sense of a soldier holding their ground. So thus, our title, hold your ground here like a soldier. Stand firm. Hold your uh, 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 position there, right there. Now, John MacArthur explained the word 
uh, Stecco or Stan form with these words from his commentary on Philippians. He wrote, Like soldiers in the front line, believers are commanded to hold their position while under attack. They are not to collapse under persecution and compromise, to fail under testing and complain, or to yield to temptation and sin. So you see, we are to hold our ground in the Lord. We are to stand firm in our walk with the Lord. So here's the point in this verse. Paul is saying, never give in and never give up from being who you are in Jesus Christ. That's our point here. Never give in and never give up from being who you are in Jesus Christ. Hold your ground. Stand firm in your walk with the Lord. You know, when the storms of life blow, when trouble comes down on you, when there's trials at work and then you come on, there's trials at home, when people seem to be targeting you, when temptations are pulling at you, when you can't see the end of, of all these troubles that are going on, Here's God right now calling out to you and I and saying, never give in, never give up. Listen, you are not what they say you are. You are not defined by your past. And you you are not what Satan is tempting you to be. He's trying to make you go back to that old life, go back to that old flesh. No, you know who you are now? You're citizens of God a citizen of heaven. You know what that means? You are a child of God. You are the one that Christ died for. That's who you are now. And so hold your ground to who you are. Never give up. Never give in at all. Never give in. Never give up from being who you are in Jesus Christ. Think about this. Did Jesus give up? Did Jesus give in? No. When his own hometown right when his hometown the people who knew him best tried to push him over the cliff he didn't give up when peter remember when peter he finally got who jesus is jesus you're the christ you're the messiah the son of god but then right after that peter turned around took two steps back spiritually and actually rebuked jesus did jesus give up no he didn't give up when the same crowd who praised Jesus with, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Four days later, they cried, crucify him, crucify him. He didn't give up. When the scourging ripped open his back, the crown of thorns were pressed deep into his head. When the heavy cross knocked Jesus down to the ground on the way to Calvary, he didn't give up. When the nails pierced his hands and feet and the blood streamed from his wounds. When the crowd standing at his feet at the cross mocked him as Jesus hung there. In in extreme pain and suffering, they were mocking him. For them, these insensitive, blind, proud sinners, they were saying these things right when he was dying for them. He didn't give up. Jesus did not give in. Jesus did not give up. So that, you know what? You and I could become a child of God. He died so we can become everything He wants us to be. So, let us not give in. Let us not give up on who Jesus died for us to become. So, hold your ground. All right, let's go on now to number two. Stand fast 
as one family. Stand fast as one family. We are to hold your ground, stand fast in your walk, and now stand fast as one family. We're going to be covering verses 2 and 3 here in Philippians chapter 4. So take a look with me here in your Bibles. Verse 2 and 3, it reads, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And we'll stop there. Now here, Paul says, I entreat, or, or probably for us, the word is, I appeal to you. So Paul says, I appeal to you, Eodia, and I appeal to you, Syntyche. I appeal, I ask you both to agree or to settle the disagreements. Now, these are two women in a church, and I've been mentioning them as we've been going through this book. And finally come, and their name is mentioned here in chapter 4. These two women were having a disagreement in the church, and it was affecting the whole church. We don't know exactly what that was, but it was enough that it was dividing the church. And so Paul goes on to say, hey, these two women, and it seems like he's, he's, he's speaking to someone, he's asking for help, and we don't know exactly who, who that is, but these women had labored side by side with Paul and were now causing this division. They were together once, laboring together, but now a rift happened, and now it's causing that division. We don't know what it was, but Paul called them out on this to agree. Now, the word agree here is the same Greek word Paul used in Philippians chapter 2, too, when he said, have the same mind. That's the idea. Have the same mind. Agree together. Come together. It was time to put it to rest. Because you know why? Satan was using their stubbornness to divide the church. That's what was going on. How sad is that? So, as I mentioned, Paul calls on his true companion to come and help. And we don't know who it is. Maybe some people say it's, it's Epaphroditus uh, to help these two women who served also with Clement. We don't know who that is either exactly. Some speculate might have been the guy in Acts chapter 2 or with them. But they together, these two women, Clement and the true companion, and Paul mentions the rest of Paul's fellow workers, they all served in sharing the gospel. There's once a time they were united. They were all in one effort sharing Jesus Christ and doing everything they could together to spread the gospel. Well, then notice something here. What Paul writes at the end of verse 3, he says, whose names are in the book of life. He mentions all of these, the true companion, Clement, even Eodia and Syntyche. Their, their names are in the book of life. Everyone who is involved, their, their names are in that book of life. And you know what that book of life is? That's a, a roster, a register of everyone who believes in Christ and who come to salvation. This is a, a book of life, the those who have been saved in Christ, the book of believers. It's God's record of every person who believes in saving faith. So, to me that's interesting. Because what I see is Paul is emphasizing that all the Philippian believers must remember we are all children of God. We are all in, in one family. We are all together as citizens of heaven. So the idea is, since we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been saved and put into one big ohana, 
one big family. So put aside the differences and don't let it divide God's family. Do all you can to stand fast as one family. That's our heading. That's the idea. That's what Paul is putting out here in his thoughts. Now Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says this, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And then it says this in verse 3, Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So Paul is saying, make every effort, maintain in other words. Do everything you can to stay united in the Spirit. You know, the unity that we feel as believers, it's actually through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us that connection. Even right now, as we're connected through the Internet, electronically, though we're studying this chapter or this section together, God is uniting us. God is connecting us through his holy spirit and that's how he does each child of god as he puts us into this one big family of god so paul calls on these two women and this is our point here put aside the disagreements and lock together in unity as children of god's family put aside the disagreements and lock together in unity as uh, children of god's family You know, we can get so caught up in our disagreements, can't we, that we forget we're on the same team. We're in the same family. You know, I was was thinking about this. I I think what happens is we, we mix together this recipe of disunity. That's what happens. It's like there's this big mixing bowl. And, and, we, and, and we put in this flower, and that flower is our tendency to maybe draw lines a little too sharp. And some of you have more of that tendency than others. And then when someone crosses that line or you don't like that, oh, right? And then you add a couple teaspoons of, I'm right on this. I'm right. I'm, I, I know I'm right. I'm, you know? And you throw that in, you're mixing all this in. And then there's a few drops of that stubborn pride that gets in there that you're not letting this go. And then what I see, too, is what really binds us all together is there's two cups of handling this disagreement in the flesh. And when we handle this in the flesh, it's more, you're really mad and everything's flying out of the bowl, right? This is a bowl of disunity and disaster. We forget that God has put us together, not as enemies, but as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're, we're one ohana. So Paul's reminding the two women and the Philippians that, look, our names as believers are all written in the book of life. We're all in this together. We're citizens of heaven. We're, we're, we're going to live in eternity together. We're one big family that God has put us together. And so in reminding them of that, that their names, all our names are written in the book of life, that thought alone should cause us to make the effort towards unity. So Paul says, put aside the disagreements and lock together in unity as children of God's family. And think about that's what family is supposed to be about. No matter the differences, no matter what it is, but, you know, we get through it. We pull together. We, we don't push apart. We pull together through the hard times. We don't fight each other. 
before Andrew Jackson became the 17th president of the United States. He served as a general, a major general in the Tennessee militia. During the War of 1812, his troops reached an all-time lower morale, and as a result, they began arguing with each other, bickering with each other, and fighting among themselves. Well, when tensions were at the worst, it is reported that Jackson called them all together in a meeting, and he said, gentlemen, let's remember, the enemy is over there. Don't default, you guys, to your flesh. Remember who you are. Remember what Christ is doing and who you're becoming. Remember you're a child of God, and we're all children of God in one big family. Don't default to maybe maybe how you grew up. Maybe maybe you, you were always fighting the ones you care about. Or you're being suspicious of the ones who care about you the most. You may blame those close to you, but you're the one, watch out, playing into Satan's devices or his strategy. Be careful. That's what Satan wants. He wants you to operate like You've always have in the flesh. He wants you to operate in that old flesh. But let me tell you, that is not you anymore. Hold your ground then. Hold your ground. All right, let's go to number three here. Number three is stand fast with true joy. We've seen stand fast in your walk. Stand fast as one family. And now number three, stand fast with true joy. Here we go to verse four now. In Philippians chapter 4, and this will just cover that verse too. So take a look with me now. Uh, Verse 4, Philippians chapter 4, it reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, Paul brings in what he said already actually back in Philippians 3.1. And that is to rejoice. That means to have great joy. But it's in the Lord. It's based on. On God. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he said back then in chapter 3. Rejoice in the Lord is not rejoicing because of good circumstances. Not because, oh, I feel good. It's not about your emotions or that because your feelings can go up and down. But remember we learned back in chapter 3 that joy is not happiness. Happiness is based on outward situation where joy comes from the inward presence of God in my life. And that's Jesus, right? Joy, remember our theme? Joy in Jesus. That's what it is. Joy is in Jesus. That's where we find a real joy and true joy. If you missed it, you can go listen to our podcast or see it online. Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 3. And I called that message, Tap Into the Joy. But we really focused in on that. But here Paul brings it back up now. He repeats this command basically he's saying rejoice you guys in the lord not in other things don't look for joy in this don't look for happiness and meaning in this but joy in jesus that's where you need to go so paul repeats this here and he repeats the command again when he says again i say rejoice that rejoice have that true joy from god and having that will not only keep you from discouragement But listen to this. In context of what he's talking about, it will keep you from division. You see, joy in the Lord is our strength, right? Nehemiah 8.10. 
And the source of joy is not in the flesh, but in the Spirit of God. God moving in our soul. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17. And that freedom is from the grip of fleshly disunity, of the flesh fleshly selfishness and pride that bring so much division into the body. So Paul repeats here the importance to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord against disunity. So our heading, stand fast with true joy. That's the idea here. Stand fast with true joy. I like what the note in the ESV study Bible says. On this verse, they say the joy that Paul calls for is not a happiness that depends on circumstances, but a deep commitment that is in the Lord based on trusting the sovereign living God. I like that. It's this deep commitment. That, that's what we're committed to, to, to hold our ground, to stand fast in this true joy that, that we get from God, not giving ourselves to the flesh or our emotions and trying to find joy in there. No, it's, it's based on the Lord and His sovereignty in our lives. His joy, that is what's going to fight against the flesh and the disunity. I love that. The, this true joy is based, based on deep uh, contentment and commitment in the Lord. Because no matter the differences, God's sovereign hand is in it, right? So when we find our commitment to find joy in the Lord, when we find our contentment in God Himself, then we're going to trust Him no matter what's going on, no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way. God's sovereign hand is in it. So Paul calls on the church to hold in your heart the true joy of Jesus to shield you from the fleshly emotions. So look at that for a moment. This is the point. Hold in your heart the true joy of Jesus to shield you from the fleshly emotions. You get that joy, it'll shield you from, from the flesh wanting to, to go against this person or the flesh that, that, that wants to give in to these emotions. And all. But if you hold in your heart that true joy, it will shield you. You'll be content. You'll be all right. It'll shield you from those fleshly emotions. I was thinking about this, how scientists say going to the beach is actually scientifically relaxing and rejuvenating. They say the crashing of the ocean's waves protect, uh, produce excuse me, negative ions. Ions are, are negatively or positively charged molecules, and the crashing of the waves make negative charged uh, molecules that help our bodies to absorb oxygen, and it helps our brain, it helps our whole body. And also the negative ions also balance the levels of serotonin, which is related to mood and stress. So going to the beach can alleviate, they say, depression, relieve stress, even boost your energy. Even uh, uh, Jared was just telling me that salt water lowers your heart rate in mammals. And maybe that's why it's so easy, like even to relax at the beach. You know, one time I was surfing with, with another pastor who told me that, that his wife approves of it because when he gets home, he's in a much better mood. <laughs> and I guess, you know, sometimes when things get heated, she tells him to go, to go surfing for a while too. Well, 
hey, it seems surfing can be good for your marriage relationship, I guess, right? Well, to me, that's like what true joy does in our relationship. It gives us that ability to handle our disagreements. Uh, it, it, it helps us to handle them in a total different way. I mean, if you're truly rejoicing in the Lord, problems will bounce off you like water on a duck's back. You know what I'm saying? With joy in your heart, you know what? You're a person that is easy to be around with. And it's easy for you to be around other people. It's like because you have this joy inside. It's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Oh, okay, no, not a big deal, right? But if you're, remember, if understand, I should say, if you are resentful, then you're not rejoicing. If you're critical, you're not rejoicing. If you're just constantly like complaining about someone and putting them down, you're not rejoicing. And you know what? You will have a harder time forgiving and letting go of the bitterness in your heart. So you see, all those fleshly things, they don't need to be there. What we need to do is, is, is be content in the Lord and find joy in the Lord. So you see why Paul puts in here the importance of rejoicing in the Lord. Perhaps that's been what is lacking in all of your broken relationships. Perhaps that is what you need to hear as Paul is addressing you and I, really. Hold in your heart, the true joy of Jesus, to shield you from the fleshly emotion. So, so excuse me, let all of us, you and me, get back to finding that true joy. Not what the flesh dictates, but a joy in Jesus. That's where you must hold your ground. All right, let's move on here to our last heading, number four. Stand fast in giving grace. Stand fast in giving grace. We've seen stand fast in your walk, stand fast as one family, stand fast with true joy. And now we come to our last verse tonight, stand fast in giving grace. So take a look with me here, verse 5, and it reads here, Rejoice in the, or excuse me, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Now, Paul writes here in this final verse we're looking at, May everyone know of your reasonableness. Now, the Greek word is epiakes. Epiakes. And, and it's, it's actually a hard word to translate. A lot of commentators were, were saying that. It, 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 in putting it into our English, it's hard. It's not like one word. But uh, it, it, it means being like lenient. It means being reasonable, fair. That's why the ESV translates it that way. It means to be gentle. It, it speaks of, of sweet generosity. It speaks of being patient with the faults of others. It carries the idea of, of a non-retaliatory spirit. So you see, all these things put together, uh, it's, that's what this Greek word means. But you know what I think? I think the best word to translate this into our English is graciousness. It's being gracious. So the idea here Paul is saying is be gracious toward another. Uh, be reasonable with one another. Be fair. Be, give mercy. Uh, be generous with one another. Be gracious toward one another. So that's why our heading, 
I made is stand fast in giving grace. That's what we have to stand fast is fast with. That's what we got to hold our ground with as we're talking about this unity in the church and as he's addressing this, this problem here. And as we are to become everything God wants us to be, we should, be, uh, we should stand fast in giving grace. Ephesians 4.29 says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So it's we don't want to put forth and and you know corrupting talk or put people down and 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 tear them down, but only let's talk about building people what's good what as it fits occasion that it may i love that give grace maybe they do deserve it maybe they did hurt you but what we should do is give grace and i'll tell you that's the way of the spirit that's the way of the holy spirit in us the way of the flesh is to tear down to hold spite against them and 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 to hold it in our heart but God wants us to be steadfast in giving grace. And it's important that we are gracious because at the end of this verse, what does he say? The Lord is at hand. What's that talking about? Jesus is about to return at any moment. Now for the apostles, understand, ever ever since they... uh, Watch Jesus ascend up to heaven and disappear. And then the angel told him, what are you looking at? You know, he's going to return as, as he went up. He's going to come down. So ever since that time that when Jesus ascended and went to heaven after his resurrection, the apostles have been waiting for his return. And today, as we've been talking about, it's even nearer than ever. It's closer than ever. So when Paul says, hey, the Lord is at hand, when Paul exhorts the Philippian believers to be gracious because, you know, at any time the Lord might return, oh, it it hits my heart. I mean, it it could be any time. And so even more now that the Lord is going to return, we need to be giving grace because he's going to hold us accountable to how we've been giving that grace. So here's the idea. Knowing that the Lord can return at any moment, that should motivate us. To be extra gracious, gracious toward those who are in disagreement, to those you are in disagreement. So stand fast in giving grace. Stand fast in giving grace. Thomas Brooks once wrote this, and we'll put this up for you guys. Thomas Brooks, this Puritan, once wrote, The more godly any man is, the more merciful that man will be. And I, I, I want to put that before you because that, that's saying a lot. As we grow in the Lord, as, as Paul's been talking about this, to press on forward, to become who Jesus you know, wants us to, to be like him in character. You know what happens? The more godly any man is, the more merciful they are. We're going to be giving more grace as we grow older in the Lord, as we grow spiritually. Spiritual maturity is seen in that person who forgives much, and that person who gives mercy much, who showers others with grace, no matter what they've done 
to them. And that's what Paul is putting forth here. Hey, Eunice, Sink, Takei, you know, you guys, you, you've been at each other. You've been, you drew this line. You've been stubborn. But hey, you know what? Be steadfast in giving grace. Give grace toward each other. And whatever that issue, we don't know what it was, we can give grace and just put it aside. We can put it aside. Why? Because we're growing in the Lord and we're becoming more like Christ. I mean, I was thinking about how many times have God given me grace. I didn't deserve it at all. He forgave me. He gave me mercy. And he was gracious to me. So our last point tonight is this. Paul calls on the church to, as you live before God, be generous in grace, especially toward those that clash with you. As you live before God, be generous in grace, especially toward those that clash with you. There's a story about this um, assassination attempt on on Queen Elizabeth I of England. The woman had a knife and was caught, and, and she wasn't able to go through with it. And she threw herself down, this, this woman who tried to assassinate the queen, and begged for grace. The queen looked at her and coldly said, If I show you grace, what promise will you make? Will you become my loyal subject if I for, forgive you of your crime and exercise grace instead of justice? Interestingly enough, this would-be assassin replied and said, that, madam, would not be grace at all, to be given on the condition of my merit. And then the queen said, you're right. Then I pardon you unconditionally. That is grace. Isn't that amazing? Well, history tells us that from that moment, Queen Elizabeth had no more faithful and devoted servant than this woman who had intended to take her life. Grace worked amazingly. And that's how God works in our life, right? He, he gave us grace. And shouldn't we give that same grace? I mean, maybe that person deserves it, but isn't, I mean, doesn't deserve it. But isn't that what grace is? Undeserved favor. Unconditional, like the queen said, forgiveness and mercy. I mean, mercy is holding that back, right? I, I love that, unconditional forgiveness. I, I think that could be another, another side of, of grace. How convicting this is. We can think we are so spiritually mature, right? So godly. Taking our stand, holding our thumb, you know, upon that person in the church because they did that, they did this. They are so, they are so wrong. Yet, We are the worst at coming down on those that clash with us. Because in maturity, true spirituality gives grace. How are you at giving grace? I got to do better. I know that. It's the hardest, isn't it, for those who hurt you? It's the hardest for those who are constantly doing something, the same thing over and over, annoying you. Or, or it's, it's the hardest, right, who've caused you the most trouble. And I'm talking about people in the church. But God is calling us, you guys, you and me, to be givers of grace like God has given us. You, God is calling us to give grace 
to even those who seem always at odds with you, with everything that you do. Listen, God is calling us to this higher level of living, to be mature. Will we rise up to that? Will you be all that God is making you to be, to give grace like Paul is saying here? Oh, as we live before God, let us be generous with grace, especially toward those that clash with you. We can say, oh yeah, give grace. I mean, there maybe there's some easy situations, but, but real grace is that those who don't deserve it, let's give that grace. So guys, in all of these things, let us not give in or give up. Let's not give into the flesh or give up on who Jesus has and is making us to be. Let's move forward, rise up to that level. And no matter whatever that area is in your life, whether it is in relationships or people in the church or, or, or your family or uh, whatever other Christians, or, or even just your, your walk in the Lord when dealing with sin or temptation, or what, no matter the issue or no matter what it is, no matter who, who it is, let us stand fast and not give ground to the world, to Satan, or our own flesh. I'll close with this story on June 4th, 1940. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of England, he, he had only been Prime Minister a month and he stood before the English Parliament in the House of Commons and he said some inspiring words as the country was in the middle of, of, of war or starting to go into war with this threat of, of Ger- the German army coming upon their small country. Churchill stood before Parliament, all, all the guys there, and he said this, Never surrender. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in French. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. That should be our heart. You guys, that should be burning in us that we will not give in to this flesh. We will not give in to temptation or, or play into Satan's games that he's trying to pull us into. We will not surrender up who we are in Jesus Christ. Let me add this. Over a year later, Winston Churchill said these words at Harrell School on October 29, 1941. Still in the middle of the war. And he said, never give in. This is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing, great or small, larger or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never give in. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelmingly might of the enemy. Never give in. Well, I don't know about you, that inspires me. That makes me even more so to dig in, to hold where I stand, where I'm at spiritually. So you guys, let's carry this same resolve 
but for Jesus Christ. Let's never surrender, never give in, never give up. Let's live out fully who we are in Christ Jesus and never give in to the enemy flesh, but hold your ground. Let's hold your ground. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word tonight, Lord, as it stirs our hearts up with a fire to have a passion for you, God, to live for you like, like, like never before. And I pray for those situations, the relationships, God, maybe things that have happened between Christian and a Christian or a believer and, and believers or, or even in our families or our friendships or, or whatever that is, even in the workplace, whatever that is, God, let us not give in to our flesh and our emotions. Let us not give in to the bitterness or, or, or feelings of retaliation and revenge, but let us be givers of grace, Lord. Let us rejoice in you and find contentment, not in what someone does, but find, find our joy in you, Jesus Christ. Let us become all that you want us to be and not go backwards at all. So, Lord, I pray over those who are listening in right now, who are struggling in something, that right now that you would release them by your Spirit, God, that you would free them from, from the grip of the flesh, how it uses the hurt and the bitterness, the unforgiveness to, to, to hold on and, 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 and have a strong, tight grip and their nails dug in, Lord. I pray that you would release them right now by your Holy Spirit. That those things even from the past, years ago, would be healed. And that you would give them the forgiveness to give. That you would forgive so that they could forgive. That you would give them mercy so that they can give mercy. That you can give them love so that they can love. And so that you can give them grace so that they can give that grace. So, Lord, fill us now with your spirit. Fill us with your joy. Fill us, God, with the strength to, to do what you want us to do and be who you want us to be. So we thank you, God, for your word and how powerful it is and for your spirit, God, who is working in our lives. And thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and rising again. For in you we have victory. For in you we are free. In Jesus' name. Amen.